You're listening to the Endless Pursuit Podcast, where we talk about all things hunting and the great outdoors. Let's get into it. No, I prefer it's go time. Let's get into it. I've heard a lot of stories about your trip to the range, Dodge. Fill us in on your expertise, please. Look, I put a post up. Just the last minute trip to the range. Now, the reason for it was a friend of mine, long-time friend, Blake, reached out and he just purchased a new rifle. I've sort of been chatting to him a little bit about for a while, just different calibres and things. He came down and did his firearms licence some months ago. And uh, it's sort of come to full fruition, bought the rifle and uh, bought a scope, had it mounted and bore-sided at the shop, but it had come time to spend some time behind at the range. And he reached out and asked, would I come with him? I said, yeah, no worries. Let's sort it out. So I thought, oh, while I'm going, I might as well spread the love and see if anyone else wants to come. So good friend Bo and Dave Truman, friends of the show, turned up at... St Mary's. Now, for those who don't know, St Mary's is a gun club run by the WSWA in Sydney. And Matt's been there. You've been there a few times, haven't you? Yeah. yeah it's nice and – well, not super close. Still takes about 50 minutes to get there, believe it or not. But It was an hour and 10 from Mittagong. But it, it stays open till about 9 o'clock at night? 10. 9.45, his last yeah. shoot. Yeah, so that's quite handy. Very. It was busy, and we didn't get there till it was quarter past 7 or so. And I actually rendered zero assistance to Blake because he was in a separate booth with his mate and they got there at 6.30 and were sighted in by the time I got there pretty much. so Probably for the better. It, look, it turns out that that might have been the case. <laughs> so, uh, look, I took a few. I took uh, 22, two 223s and my 28 Nosla build to be shot for the first time. Now, Bo and I moved down to, we got put down in the left-hand range. I think it's A range. And sorry, for those who haven't been to the range, it's a 50-meter indoor. It's uh, you sit at the bench and you can set your target from seven meters, I believe it is, all the way through to 50 and some half distances in between. Anyway, so I took a 22 that I use for rabbits and it's been shooting a little bit left and I thought, oh, well, Put it on paper and have a go. So I shot and, you know, half-decent group for 22, just using brick ammo, nothing fancy. But it was two inches left at 50. So I was just about to adjust that and I leaned over to Bo's block next door, his bench, and said, how's yours going? And this was an old 22 that his neighbour had sold him for $1 sort of thing, giving him for nothing. And... It was, he'd never sighted it in and wanted to spend some time behind it. And it was, again, grouping quite well, but well over to the right. So we worked out, he was only at 25 metres. So me, being such a mathematician, worked out that at 25 metres, it's one sixteenth of an inch per click. You got a quarter MOA or a quarter inch click at 100. Gives you an eighth at 50 and then 16th roughly at 25. Are you following along with my maths? Is that half right? I've got you. Yes, keep yeah, going. I don't know if I'm right. Well, it worked okay. So in turn, that was two inches, 32 clicks. So I said, you know, we took the cap off and we did 32 clicks to the left. One, 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 one. That's a lot of clicks. Anyway, he had it. There was enough clicks in there. And then I went back to my bench and I did the same with mine. I had to move mine sort of two inches, so I did the same. I did 16 clicks because I was at 50. Click, click, click to the left or whatever it was. And then I shot well on target. I was like, oh, that's a pretty fair group. I was, you know, within the eight, nine, and ten rings. I was pretty happy with that. I move over to Bo's bench. I said, how'd you go? And he pulled his target back in and it had gone two inches further away from his target, <laughs> from his first group, which would put him nearly on centre. I said, oh, that's pretty good. And he said, I was aiming at the other circle. So he'd gone a full circle over on the target. Now, what had happened was he had asked my advice and I'd given him bum steer, but because I had to move mine to the left, I automatically moved his to the left, but his had to move to the right. 
So I went the wrong way. I, I sent him the same way I had to go. But the result was, if you're following along at home with your pen and paper and your abacus, 64 clicks then the other way, which is a lot of clicks. Oh, and it's an old annoying. scope and the clicks were so quiet and you could just hear them if you put your ear so close. You could nearly not feel them in your fingers. Sometimes you can feel the clicks and sometimes they're quite audible on the new scopes especially, but not in Bo's case with the old scope. So anyway, 64 clicks to the side and he was back on target. So he maintains that I assisted him minus 3%, which I think is a fair assumption. Anyway, we'll move on from that story. That's not the first time you've had issues at the range, is it? No, look, I just numbers aren't my thing. My mum's terrible with fractions. I'm actually pretty good with fractions. What I'm not good at is adjusting them for distances, it seems. So if anyone wants to come to the range next time, I probably will go again, but you're on your own. It's, uh... <laughs> <laughs> That's probably a positive. Yeah. I'll sit next <laughs> That's to a you. Win for, for listeners. I'll sit next to you and take new people, but you're on your own when it comes to siding in. So finish with a 22. Moved across to the middle range for a for the next gala, which is two two threes, and that's where I was going to shoot the nozzler as well. So I put the uh, I had the wife's Seiko eighty five Hunter two two three, and uh, I sat in the wife's. I actually bought it for her as a push present, Matt. Something you could have got away with. You could have bought two push presents. I have shot it more than she has. I needed a new two two three, and that was a good excuse to get one. So she picked the gun, she picked the scope, and I just put it in my name, therefore I get to use it. That's the one with the pink stock, isn't it? Uh, no, no, he's not. That's my no. Daisy Duke. No, I don't know one. But uh, <laughs> no, it's a really nice walnut stock, actually. The Seiko is an amazing gun, definitely worth the money. It's uh, generally very accurate. Uh, I had it out and got wet on the last trip, so I pulled it all apart and cleaned it and dried it all, but I just thought I'd put it on target again because I had the scope off after that and put it back in the same spot but always wanted to double check and we'll chat about it later in the talk tonight but we had a family hunt plan so i just thought i'd make sure it was shooting well so put it on target and same thing it was a little bit off to the left low and left quarter inch or so and then just a quick adjustment at that now i was doing the what you call it point blank range point blank sighting in Basically on target at 50, puts you on target at 200 or so, roughly. A maximum point blank range? That one. Something like that, yep. So that one was on target, not an issue. Now, the next gun I pulled out was my 223, which is a, I've alluded to it in earlier podcasts. It's my original 223 that I purchased when I got my firearms license. Now, it's a Remington 700, nothing fancy. I pulled the trigger out put a Timney trigger in it. I pulled the stock off and put it in an MDT chassis, one of their older first-generation aluminium ones. It's got a very tactical-looking gun just for fun, but it just happens to be an absolute tack driver. It's got a Vortex 6-24 scope on it, and I sold that rifle. I regretted it, so I bought it back. I contacted the guy I purchased, I sold it to, and he had used it for 50 shots in six years and was pretty happy to sell it back to me. So sold it back to me for the same price. I sold it to him, which is a bit of a bargain. And this is the first time I shot it since re-owning it the second time. Put it on target at 50, pull the trigger, boom, again, boom. And the third shot, it was actually a really nice group. It was high and left. It's fine. Everything seemed to be shooting left. And I think uh, he had adjusted the scope for his eye relief and things. So I was going into it knowing that I had to do that to fix it back to my myself. So I was pretty happy with that group. But what happened when I shot the third round is the complete right-hand side windage dial ejected off the scope. Completely come off. Not the cap. Not the cap. You're talking about the whole thing. It actually doesn't have a cap, this one, which is a downside with this scope. I must admit, although it sets to zero and has a stop at zero, you can easily, when you're slipping it in and out of a rifle case, actually roll that on the material on the side of the rifle case and it will change your windage if you're not paying attention. So you can wind it back to zero. So it's got a stop on it. The whole thing came off. And Bo and Dave were standing over my shoulder 
And I turned around and they both said at the same time, that's not supposed to happen. Now, <laughs> nope. I don't know. I did mention it there a second ago. It's a vortex scope. Now, the benefit of that and one of the main reasons I purchased that scope at the time was they have a lifetime warranty. I've dealt with Vortex before. I've had a rangefinder that got water in it because I dropped it in a creek and they replaced it. No questions. Thank you for your service. I had some uh, binoculars that got pinched out of my bag at an airport. They just weren't on the other end of the airport, which is now why I carry them on my carry-on. And they replaced them. No questions asked. Didn't even go through travel insurance. So the Vortex warranty is very thorough. It does travel with the item itself. It doesn't go, doesn't die with the person who purchased it first. It lives with the item. So if you're ever buying secondhand equipment, Vortex is a good option because any issues, you get a brand new one out of it. So I put it back in. I actually noticed on the back of it that the thread had Loctite on it and the Loctite had come apart. So not sure what caused that. There is a small abrasion on the side of the dial so whether it was knocked and I didn't notice it or I knocked it recently which I doubt because it lives in the safe and I put it back in and I could screw it back in but then I didn't get those audible clicks again with the turning of the windage because I was actually turning the back thread not the front thread so I shot it again and I got an amazing little tiny little group proper cloverleaf three shot group but I was unable to move the group. So, so that one there is coming off and heading away to Queensland to be replaced. Hopefully, I haven't reached out to Vortex yet. I haven't had time, but definitely something I'll do. And that was generally my experience at the range. No, it wasn't. I tell why. I forgot about the whole 28 nozzle situation. Now, I had a few people ask me there, what is a 28 nozzle? And I don't know the answer to that because... I was recommended to buy it and I bought it and it's a great gun. But as far as parent casing and foot pounds and all those details, I worry myself with the small details. But I pulled it out, set it up on the bench and it's an imposing looking gun. It's definitely huge and heavy. You know, have you seen it, Matt? Have I showed you? No, I haven't seen it yet, mate. Big muzzle brake, straight fluted barrel, all Cerakoted up, big wide fat stock, very heavy and... We've done a load development on it based on the exact load details that came from the person we purchased it off. And so we just matched his all his specs. He was a hand loader, which you kind of need to be when you go into these weird wildcat sort of categories. So I set it up on the bench and sent a few downrange. And again, I had never shot it, but I was fully prepared for larger calibers, not an issue. This thing kicked like a 243. Like it had an amazing... Oh, wow. Yeah, amazingly small recoil for the size of the gun. Now, the reason for that is it had a brake on it. It had a, I can't remember, it's an MDT brake, that's what it is, and it's three ports, both sides angled back towards the shooter. Now, what you don't realise as the shooter sitting behind the gun is what those ports do, and they, they push all your gases back around you, and when you're sitting in a booth at a gun range, that just curled around in there and blew half the stuff off my bench. And Bo and Dave were standing behind me and, you know, they were pummeled by it in the chest. You could just feel it. The guys next to us in the next booth were shooting a 4570. Shout out to Chris. He's going to listen. 4570. Now, that's a big caliber. Lever action, Marlon, I believe it was. Good fun. I'll tell you why it was good fun in a second. But they poked their head around like, what are you shooting? And I said, 28 nozzle and whatnot. Because they were getting pumped by the gases next door. So it was, yeah. it was, because I was actually long gun. It was in front of my booth. So the angle of the gases were pushing into their booth. So they were getting pummeled. What happened at the end was I returned to their side and said, Hey guys, any chance you want to have a shoot of the 28? Purely because I wanted to shoot the 4570. And yeah, yeah, no worries. So they both jumped on and had a shot. And then in turn, I said, Oh, any chance I can have a go with the 4570? Which, if you're at the range and there's someone shooting something there, generally everyone's okay. They can either say no and you're no worse off, or they say yes and you get to shoot something a little bit different. So I'm pretty cheeky. I don't mind asking. I got to shoot theirs. They jumped behind ours. And the same thing, the 4570 had a fair kick on it. It's a straight case. There's no neck in it. It's a 
throwing besser blocks kind of rifle. Good fun for you know, pigs or larger game, buffalo and things. So that was a good time at the range. The 28 was on target. I wasn't particularly looking to sight it in any more than on target because it's useless at 50. The thing's designed for 1,500 metres or thereabouts. So 50 is kind of being rude to it, nearly pulling it out inside an indoor range. But the reason I shot it there was because hilltops closed and Silverdale, I can't shoot it there because there's too much pressure at the muzzle or something. I'm not sure. It doesn't, you know, not allowed on their rules. The other thing I wasn't allowed to do was shoot next to a wall at St Mary's because it blows their soundproofing off at the break. So you've got to pick a booth that's in the middle of the lane. So that was my time at St Mary's. And have you had any good, you had good experiences there. I haven't had any bad experiences. I've only been, that's the second time I've been in my shooting career. And it was pretty seamless. Yeah, look, at um, both St Mary's and Silverdale, I've had really good experiences with the people there and the range. As I said before, that St Mary's one being open till late is really nice because you can sneak down even if you just want a quick check of the, that you're on target before going away. So it makes life a bit easy. And then Silverdale is pretty handy, being out to 200, uh, pretty close to Sydney. So it's uh, a win in my eyes. I had, when I walked in, the boys said, have you been here before? And I had been there before, but I'm talking like it was when I first got my license, so years ago. So I just said, no, I haven't. And then they went through the safety stuff, which is normal. And yeah, it was was a good experience. Definitely recommend any Sydney-based people, go and try it if you need to. And like you said, open late, so makes it easy for ducking out the night before a hunt or quick change over a scope and the kids are asleep, you can still head up. Spend some time downrange. I hear you've got a trip coming up, Matt. Yeah, booked in a state forest hunt, um, headed down south. So I wanted to uh, just get away. It's been a while since getting into into a forest and, wow, geez, what's nearly be over 10 months now since I've been out to a state forest. So just went, you know what, need to pull the trigger on it. So booked a house and I'll take the family down and I'll sneak off for a morning hunt and, and probably an afternoon hunt as well. Only one day, but I mean, that will, I guess, take the edge off the cravings, I suppose. So I uh, don't want to push, push the luck too much and be too cheeky with the wife. She'll be looking after the the three terrors in a, um, a new place and I'm not sure if it'll be kid-proof or whatnot. So, but uh, hey, getting out for a day is better than not. So yeah. Uh, yeah, pretty keen to get out there and excited to, to have a look around and, yeah, see how we go. But it's uh, been a long time coming to get back into a state forest. Um, I'm pretty excited about that. So that's in the next two weeks, which, yeah, can't wait. Have you taken Taysom out for a walk, with like hunting walk? No, I haven't. So we, he's probably at that weird age, I feel. so. Less than 13 and older than one. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I've got that really nice backpack for the kids, the testing my memory now, the Osprey. Osprey. Yeah. We use the same one. Yeah, you do. I saw the, the photos of Ryder in it and I feel it's he's too heavy now for it because of the weight limit. I think the weight limit is 15 or 18 kilos off the top of my head. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think – I think it's 15 I think Kyle, he, well, he used it for both his sons and the same thing. His son was really tall and it's not just the weight limit, right? It can probably hold 25 kilos or more, but, man, that's heavy on your back. Like for you, the weight limit is 15. Yeah, that and, and my son's a cheeky little bugger. He'll probably be like smacking me on the head, and kicking me. and <laughs> it's, a, it's a moving backpack, which is probably not nice. But um, So, yeah, he's in that sort of transition period between – being in the backpack and then being able to walk for long distances himself. Mm. And I don't sort of want to be, you know, he's very big on the walk for a bit and then he wants to be carried. So it's a long travel to take him out and then carry him around. So at this stage, I'm waiting for him to be a little bit older and then I'll probably take him. But I think, look, if if I was local to a state forest, then yeah, I'd probably be out there with him. Mm. But, you know, when the closest one is a, good couple of hours away. I suppose, look, we can say that Belangelo is not that far away, but it's a bow only and, and a weekday 
only hunting ones. So, but I do, I've just got the itching to take the rifle out to a state forest. So yeah, that, that'll be the plan. And because I'm only going for this, I've only booked in for the one day. I don't really want to take a noisy little human with me. So I feel that, uh, that could be a bit of an issue, but yeah, I'm excited. I want to get down there and looking forward to, you know, just getting back in the bush into a state forest. Do you have any ear protection for him? I do. So we bought a set of earmuffs, but I was actually going to ask you about earmuffs because when I saw your son, it looked like they were there was something across his forehead. Was that, am I right, that was holding him on? Yeah, so we're sort of jumping to the middle of my next story, which is I alluded to. We took the, it was the first time we actually took both kids, my wife and I, out on a hunt. It was the four of us. So we've taken Grace out a couple of times and she's been out since she was young, but this was Ryder's first time. <laughs> so, yeah, anyway, we'll talk about the earmuffs first, then I'll talk about the hunt. So the brand is M's for kids, E-M, earmuffs, short form, very creative. Now, we bought them for Grace when she was a baby, just for, for that reason. We were heading up to Townsville on a chill hunt. And they're the earmuff section that goes over your ears normally, but instead of being a firm headband that goes up and over and joins the two, it's a headband, like a sweatband that goes around your forehead and around the back. So kids, it stays on their head a lot better as a child, and it's Velcro at the back, so adjustable in tension. That's worked really well for Grace. I mean, she's nearly four now and she's got the full over year ones like we wear now on the podcast sort of thing like a normal set of earmuffs but for a baby and a toddler and that sort of age group it's works really well with that headband because it just i mean he's okay with them some kids would pull them off straight away but he seems to be okay with them at the moment i'm sure that will come so talking about the hunt we it it wasn't a last minute decision but we're going to go out in the afternoon and that just takes a long time to get ready as you know mate with multiples and also i couldn't find my binoculars and said we're not leaving until we find them but i did find them. we headed off and we probably didn't get out there till four o'clock just a local block here and Ryder was on my back and he was squawking away not complaining just talking to himself squawk as he does as a one-year-old and i was to be honest i was kind of annoyed it's hard to say that you're annoyed at your kids, but definitely was annoyed because that goes against everything you want to do when you're hunting, make noise. And Mel can walk quietly. She's used to hunting. Grace is old enough to listen and whisper and walk quietly. She has tiny feet. Ryder, on the other hand, is not a huge fan of listening at the moment, mostly because he can't do what he's told. He's only one. It's not his fault. So just squawking away and whatnot. but. We were out there until 6.30, not particularly late, but late enough for our kids. They have dinner at 5.30 normally. And we saw 10 deer. We bumped a couple. We winded a couple. We saw a few that didn't see us. But there was an interesting point. I was actually out there just looking for the rut, really. I was looking to try and find any velvet bucks right on the cusp of stripping, if not haven't already begun to strip. So I was just having to poke around. We did have the rifle with us, but... Yeah, I wasn't particularly looking to shoot one. Like I said the other week, I didn't really need the meat right now. So what happened though was you know, we stopped regularly when we've got kids and they need drinks and chips and we've got a little video I'll put up of Ryder eating over my shoulder and man, it's like he's eating, I don't know, what what did it, like pork crackle or something? Like it's so loud. Another consideration you have to have when you're with kids is don't give them noisy foil packets of chips. Ziploc bags are great because they're quiet. Just a little handy tip. So we're making a fair bit of noise. We come over this ridge and Mel points down 35 metres from us and there was three deer looking away from us, alert at something else, not us. And Ryder's squawking away. The benefit of his squawk is he actually sounds like a crow at the moment, which is <laughs> not, like it's not an uncommon sound out there in the bush. So that was, uh, I nearly camouflaged him. And... I actually pulled the rifle up more so to have a look than anything. I didn't have anything chambered. And I've got a Eagle Eye Smart Rest monopod on the front of it. That's not what it's called. It's going to shoot me for saying the wrong thing. But I had that up and I could rest that on my hip. And I was having a look at it. And I, I considered shooting. It was a young spiked fellow. 
The rider actually didn't have his earmuffs on at the time because we actually weren't that far from the car. We'd only just started. So I uh, I didn't, and then we just stood there and looked at them, and Grace pointed them out, and then riders squawked too many times, and they ran away. So it was good to get out. It was a nice afternoon, and it was funny, actually, that farmer that you and I ran into, we went out and got bogged that night. We'd finished the hunt. We'd come back to the vehicle. I've got a little oven in the vehicle. And we had the kids' dinners in there, you know, nice and warm. And I just had the side up on the canopy, and we had the kids sitting in there having dinner. And I was in camo. Mel was in camo. And we're just leaning up next to this ute. And he pulls up. And the same way he pulled up when he saw us that night, it was not, hey, guys, how are you going? I was like, what are you doing here? And I just walked straight up to his window and said, hey, mate, it's Dodge. Oh, Dodge, how have you been? Like best mates. He was heading out to dinner with his wife and kid and just see any we saw some. And yeah, so again, just diffused the situation instantly by introducing ourselves. But it was um yeah, just funny that we ran into him again. But it was good fun hunting with the kids. It's a different experience. You're not out there to shoot things, that's a byproduct. You're out there to spend some time with them and Grace loved it. She saw a wombat, she caught a dragonfly, which she thought she was like Bear grills catching a lion or something like she thought she was queen of the forest, being able to slowly walk up and catch a but a uh, dragonfly. That was pretty cool, and yeah, it was just enjoyable. She found a bone that is a pelvis of something and made me carry that home, which was quite heavy to add to the pack with a child on your back. And the only downside was with those backpacks is we came across a barbed wire fence that you can't climb over with a backpack on with a kid in the back. So it was a full unpack, one hops over, hands it over, and everyone else hops over. I do want to get as a guest in mind for having a chat about hunting with your kids. There's lots of pros and cons, tips and tricks that I've learnt just in my short time doing it, but I've you know got some people in mind that have got older kids now that have been hunting with them since they were sort of one and two. So it's definitely um, the quiet packets of chips and things is key. Keeping them full of food so they don't whinge is a good one. Uh, specific times of day, Ryder actually fell asleep, which is he missed his lunch sleep because he's a little turd. And he fell asleep, which is not the right time for him to fall asleep, but it was beneficial for the hunt at the end. So timing your hunt, if you've got a kid that still sleeps, that works too because they'll just fall asleep and you're still getting out with them. So, yeah, a couple of good tips and tricks, but it was good fun. We had a good time. Yeah, good. Your little one's a bit hard to carry two in a backpack. Uh, you know what? I actually was talking to the wife about that going, I don't think there is any packs out there that I can get the two of them. Do a double stacker. Yeah. I was like, that 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 throws an extra element to it. So all those twin parents out there, geez, I feel you. I, uh, I couldn't imagine having any more. You've had a couple reach out on the, the podcast. Other guys that hunt with, they've got twins. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's good to hear. Good to hear from people that have um, you can share similar experiences with. Because I was that idiot that thought, oh yeah, twins will be easy. They uh, it'll be just instead of one nappy, it'll be two. And uh, geez, how wrong I was. I thought double the work and oh, severely wrong there. So I guess that's why I'm paying for it a bit now and uh, haven't been out for a while. But uh, no, it's always good to hear from people and, and connect with our listeners. So on that note, we uh, are going to run another evening catch up yep. so we're gonna be doing that at the end of february and that will be on the 24th so friday the 24th from 6 30 p.m uh at the crown yep. hotel in camden stay tuned for more details but that's where it will be and when it'll be we'll put it all up on our socials but uh we'll reach out but yeah it'll um 24th, lock it in, dates, 24th of Feb, and hopefully we'll see you guys there. So the last one was good. Had a big turnout, and hopefully we'll uh, – I know there's a few people that couldn't make it, and they've reached out and said they, they've been asking us when the next one is. So let's get into it and do that. It'll be good to catch up and have a good chat before we sort of start focusing on the rut. We're starting to get real close coming into March and April. Yeah. Exciting times. Now, I want you to play your – or insert it, because I don't know if you've got it ready because I haven't told you this coming. Matt's Media Watch. Is that around? Matt's Media Watch. The ever-prepared producer. I can go pull those things out of his shirt. Now, 
I haven't spoken to you about this, Matt. Something that got sent to me by a listener who actually came to our last dinner that we had. This is from WA, and it's the McGowan government will introduce mandatory mental health checks for Western Australian gun gun owners. Most people own gun. Gun owners as part of its commitment to overhaul the state's outdated firearms laws and put a community safety first agenda. What an interesting topic. I mean, I haven't read into it too far. Mm. It's literally just reading a headline. It's a tricky one. That's an extremely tricky one. I sort of, I don't know how to feel about that in the sense, I think if done the right way, it might be a positive thing, but I don't know how it could be done the right way. I mean, is there still is such a stigma around mental illness and just because someone lives with a mental illness doesn't mean that they're not a productive, good person in society. So I don't know the mental health check. Is it just, oh, you have a mental illness, you can't own a firearm? And such a wide spectrum, like, what and when are, when are you saying oh you've got a mental illness you can't own one is it blanket the just reading the article further it says last year 20 people were shot dead in wa zero circumstances around that whether it was armed robbery or suicide and things but it says or legal firearms yeah exactly how many of those were by law-abiding firearm owners yeah. Subsequent police investigations found evidence suggesting mental health played a role in almost 50% of those 20 deaths. And in the past six months alone, 122 people were referred to the WA police force because someone was concerned about their fitness to hold a gun license based on medical grounds. So I don't know how many firearms owners are in WA, but 122 people were referred to WA police for a mental health check. Yeah, this is it's an interesting one and there is so many elements to this. As you said, it's a continuum, isn't it? Like just because you do have a mental illness or suffer with your mental health doesn't mean you're always suffering or it doesn't mean you're always at like the com- – complete end of the spectrum you can be in the middle and it's dynamic it's always changing and moving but then i see it from the other side going well hold on if it does save someone's life and it stops them in the moment committing suicide or something along those lines i think that's a real positive so i hope if it does come in i hope that it is used not as something just to take away firearms from people uh, yeah, it's a real tricky one. So uh, I don't know whether you have or not, but I I would say I've been depressed and it was some years ago now and I went through some stuff at work and it wasn't an amazing time, but like that was one point in time. It didn't last more than a month. I came out of it, work picked up, everything changed. My life was much better. And it wasn't at the time that I realised that. It wasn't until years later that I worked out that's what was happening. So if this thing, let's say it's a once a year thing, the whole mandatory part makes it interesting too is the government then subsidising the cost of going to see someone. But if it's once a year, like that happened to me one month during the year, if that's not when I'm at that meeting with that person, then how are they picking up on it? So they're going to test it over there. And if it works over there, I think it'll spread across the country. Interesting to see how that is received for the gun community. This article only came out two days ago, so it's all fresh. I'd like to know more about all the testing and things like that. How is it being conducted? What are the sort of – I don't even know really the details. You'd need to know so much more before you can really say, yeah, I'm in favour or no, I'm not. The reason this has come about, I don't know if you saw it on the news or whatnot, but there was a national cabinet meeting where they were discussing stronger – they, they want a national registry for firearms. And the reason yes. it came about because of that fatality in Queensland, they're saying by extremist conspiracy theorists in December last year. And I don't really want to talk about that event, but I believe there was firearms that registered in a different state being used in that situation. And then there was, you know, back and forth between firearms registries as to who owned the firearm and things. 
a national register, I understand that would be more coherent and cohesive between police units and things and make that discussion much easier if you just had to ring one person to see who owned the firearm or whatnot. But, yeah, this is uh, something that's flowed on from that conversation and WA has picked up on it and uh, looking like they're going to run it. It'll be interesting to see how it's implemented and how they do that and... I don't know all the details about the National Firearm Registry, but I did read a few things saying that there already is a system that communicates with each other because there was some issues with it with some and some people got in trouble and, and locked up for um, selling firearms to the wrong people and there was no paperwork because it was coming from interstate. So now they've changed that and tightened it up. So I believe that it's almost like it, it already exists, but it's not like official sort of thing. Um, again, I don't know all the full details, so please don't take that as gospel. But yeah, I it's something we talk about on this podcast all the time. Is whenever an event happens like this, people get triggered and they react. And it's something that again, I think as hunters, we all need to be extremely mindful of what we're portraying and putting out into the public space. And whether it be on social media, whether it be on even just the way we conduct ourselves in the public eye because it's really easy to damage a reputation than to build it in a positive way. And the media love to jump on something that's sensationalized. That's something that strikes fear in the general community. And it actually links into a, uh, an article that came out today in the courier mail. And I'll, I'll read you the exact I guess the headline and the uh, catch, catch I think line. they call it the byline. Yeah, the, but the the byline I think is the the information underneath it. So it's from the Courier Mail. And it says fans outraged as Australian survivor and in brackets hero because they're hero versus villains at the moment exposed as a trophy hunter. Survivor fans are horrified as one of this year's hero contestants has an Instagram filled with violent animal killings, warning, graphic images. Now, that persuasive language this journalist has used, you can really see the the light that they're painting of this person. And uh, I had a quick read of it, and her name's Paige Donald. I haven't watched Survivor. She's hit back at those people having a go at her hunting, which I think is fair enough. And she's from country, I believe, North Queensland or Queensland. And I'm going through the photos and, and realistically, you know, she's been to Africa, a couple of boars in there. I don't really see any images that are graphic. I think actually you're the person to speak to on those images because you are all about a, a trophy photo. I think they're pretty well in good taste, like especially the montage there of all the pigs, like it doesn't really look anything out of the ordinary for me. No. Uh, what are your the, thoughts? The thing with my friend's circle is it looks like most of my friend's Instagram pages. You know, was, I'm just scrolling through it now. Dead pig, dead pig, riding horses, riding bulls, rodeo, another dead pig. And like we're talking a pig laid out with the dog sitting behind it, no blood, no guts, uh, riding a horse, dog behind that one. It's, yeah, as good as you're going to get for pig hunting photos, that's for sure. Now, there is some African stuff if you go reeling back on the deep, and I know that's an emotional topic. Uh, There's a goat photo there, dead goat, but it's legal over there. There's a ute load of dead dingoes. That's an emotional topic in itself. So, look, I've watched Survivor. I know who she is on there. I've seen her on there. And she comes across as a genuine Aussie, just a normal country chick from the bush. And catching pigs is part of what you do in the bush. It's Even if they outlawed it, I'm 100% certain it would still continue. Just people wouldn't put photos up of it. So it seems that she's doing it quite respectfully and she's getting slammed for it publicly. And it's a conversation I had with someone recently about I mean, she's not a, I wouldn't call her a celebrity, but she's in the public eye. Celebrities that hunt? Can you think of any off the top of your head? Yeah, uh, I think Chris Pratt is probably the biggest name that I know mm-hmm. from Guardians of the Galaxy and oh, a million great shows. Yep. 
Uh, Kurt Douglas or Michael Douglas, one of those guys, I believe. Uh, there was that NFL player who recently took out a mountain lion. Um, obviously, you've got your, your Joe Rogan and he's got a couple of celebrities into it as well with him. Yep. There's a, there's a couple of big names out there, but what there also is, there's a lot of big names that do it and don't talk about it publicly. And I know of a few because I've been around them. I've met them in New Zealand and guided some country music uh, singers and things. And you think country music, hunting, you know, hunting, fish and loving every day, it's it's in their lyrics, it's what they do. But if their fans actually realised they actually do it, they would lose them, which is kind of weird. I mean, I understand that they have a public image to upkeep, but I feel like, I mean, I'd love to talk to some of them about it, whether it be on air or off air. It's comes across like they're scared of the masses and they're scared of this happening. What's happened to this poor girl? Her life has been exposed, in inverted commas, which she was not hiding because it's all over Instagram, including her survivor pictures. So it's, just, it's normal for us. We've said it before. We have our hunter's eyes on. We can see it from our, our perspective. It's definitely confronting for someone sitting on the beach at Bondi watching Survivor and then seeing pictures of it pig being laid out on someone's Instagram, but it's just, yeah, it's a bit normal for us, so it's definitely not as shocking. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I don't understand, like, if you don't like something, scroll on. Mm. You know, I'm very big on that. I see plenty of stuff on social media I don't agree with. I just don't comment. I just keep going. If I got stuck every day on things I didn't agree with, geez, I'd be on social media 24-7. So it's... Very funny, and I was reading some of the comments on the article and whatnot, or I thought of Paige this way on Survivor, but now I know that. And it's like, hold on, now you know what? Mm. They've labelled her a trophy hunter. Okay, well, why? You know nothing about her background or story, why she does it. I came across a colleague at work who lives in the same suburb as me, mind you. I didn't even know this. And it was one of those one of those times you're sitting there having a chat and um, I live here and, oh, so do I. Oh, okay. Very, probably too close for comfort, to be honest. But <laughs> having a chat with them and it came up that I hunt and the whole conversation changed. Uh, obviously, they're not a fan of hunting. So it was very, yeah, very, very different conversation. Uh which was interesting. But, I mean, look, hey, that's everyone's prerogative too, but I guess it's the world we live in nowadays too. People just judge you and they don't know who you are or, or anything about you really other than what they sort of assume. And it's a sad thing, I think, sometimes. I think that there's a lot of good people out there and sometimes they get tarnished or hit with a brush because people just don't understand what they do. And that's – I feel for people like Paige that – cop that criticism because it's I don't think it's fair and it's that you know we go back to that argument that not everybody agrees with what you're doing but if it doesn't impact you or affect you is that something we should get involved in and we talk about shooters needing to sort of stick together and band together because the general majority in public nowadays don't like what we do because they don't know about what we do and they don't know the importance of what we do so that's that is a big issue when it comes to that. But, um, yeah, mate, there's a third article okay. in tonight's Media Watch too. This one's a real positive for me. It's came out on ABC and it's basically highlighting the total estimated primary industry's output. So I guess the economic value to them for 2019-2020 financial year. And like from a shooting and hunting perspective, it's fantastic. It's uh, essentially, if you look at hunting just on its own, we're fifth highest economic contributor. So you've got cattle as the number one, which is probably sitting about $2.7 billion. And uh, then it goes horticulture. Sorry, I lie. It goes actually fishing. Then it goes to horticulture, then sheep meat. Then we've got hunting, which is actually outperforming the wool industry. That's a big deal. That's massive. So, and they're saying hunting is about 1.4 billion. Um, and that's just here in New South Wales. So, what I, I guess, like about this is I guess it comes, we can link this back to 
the National Feral Deer Action Plan talking about hunting. I mean, if this is what hunting contributes to the economy and there's so many more things we could be doing and making money from it, this is such a valuable thing that we do. It needs to be implemented far better. We need more things. We need to to really take advantage of this. And if you look at hunting and fishing, if you were to combine the two, you're sort of sitting in a bracket that's $3.5 billion, which would outrank even cattle. So it would be the largest primary industry, hunting and fishing combined. I really just think it's such a missed opportunity here for our economy. But that's really great. That's great to see that come out. It's great to see it coming out while we're we're sort of trying to look at this feral deer plan and and strike it up. And one thing I will say on that is it's been great to see other people sharing and, and getting out and having their own takes on it and other podcasts and other YouTube clips and, and whatnot. Some of the statements and things I don't fully agree with, and that's fine. They don't agree with our position, and that's fine too. So, you know, one of the big things for us was getting it out there and getting the conversation happening and the awareness happening, and, and that's really starting to happen. So I'm really glad for that. Well, the conversation's definitely happening and it's, uh, we love doing it. We love, I love talking. It's no, no secret. Those numbers though, the dollars, I did the quick maths on that a couple of days ago when that article came out and it worked out to be on average $8,000 per licensed firearm owner in Australia, which, I mean, I've done my part. It's not that much actually. Per annum. Is that what it was? Yeah, 8000 a year. But that, we're not just talking purchasing an $8,000 firearm. We're talking fuel, car, food, firearm, accessories, ammunition, range time, hunting license fees, all those sorts of things. It's, I mean, it adds up pretty quick, but there's guys out there that own three guns and have never spent a cent on them or hunting. They hunt their own property and buy ammo, box ammo every year, and that's fine. And then there's other guys out there going over to Africa, going to Canada, you know, investing all that money in tourism. So they're picking up the picking up the uh, the thread for everyone else, and yeah, you're right. It's probably not it's not that much over a year, but it's definitely more than what most hobbies would spend. No one's spending eight thousand dollars a year in I was going to say netball, but then I suppose by the time you travel to all the events, you probably are. Well, I, look, I look at it, and that's only New South Wales, so that's massive. I'd love to see what it is in this, like across Australia, but just New South Wales, that's pretty big. But eight thousand actually seems quite low. I reckon that they well, probably it's on average. are. I know it's on average and some people don't, but I do think there'd be people that spend a lot more than that. Like if you think if you go on one guided hunt a year, you know, that's that's probably what, let's say what average is probably about five grand somewhere there. Yep. And then you, that's three grand for, you know, fuel and all the rest of it. And you're Tax probably doing more than the one hunt. Yeah. So I that, that eight grand can add up pretty quickly, which – which isn't a bad thing. This is one thing I keep saying is that one of the things we do have in our favor as hunters is the economic value. And the more that increases, the less likely that anyone's going to stop hunting because it's such a big contributor to the economy and we need a strong economy. Mm -hmm. That's just the reality and politicians are definitely looking at that. And if that's going to hurt their their, uh, budgets and hurt how much money they have to spend and things they can do, well, they're not going to axe hunting. So it's something that we really need to be spending money and making note of it and pushing it and and letting people know how big a contributor it is to our country because that doesn't come into the arguments a lot of the time when we talk about shooting and hunting. All right, so it's been a big week in the media this week for hunting and shooting, so quite a few big articles. It's not a bad thing to be in the media. It just depends on how they portray us. So the obviously the economic one is fantastic news for us, but then the uh, poor Paige is probably on the opposite end of the spectrum. So Interesting to hear her side of it. Yeah, hopefully we'll be able to get her on. So uh, last, let's, let's end it on one of my favourite subjects or segments. Tech talk. Now, this is normally a segment brought to you by Matt, as yes. technology is not my forte. However, I had a phone call today from, let's call him Stabby, from previous episode reasons, and he gave me a ring because 
In an early conversation when we did the episode with Ben from Hunt the Night, I was talking about I wish there was a product that you could set the scene. You're in the high country in Victoria. You're hunting a really thick gully and you're two-thirds the way up on one side. There's a deer on the other side. You set yourself up on a tree, boom, you take the shot and the deer drops, rolls down the hill a little bit. And you can still see it, but only just because it's in the thick blackberries or you see where it stopped moving even. And now that's happened. That was a scenario. Yannick and I were in the high country and I actually shot the deer and missed completely, shot underneath it and he took the second shot and killed it. When we got over there, it's very disorientating because it's not very far across the valley, but then you have to drop down through the thick stuff, stuff, completely lose view of the animal and then come up the other side. It's probably only 200 metres across the, but then trekking down and back up adds a few hundred metres and things. Now, what one option is is to leave a person where you shot from and then they keep an eye on the animal and then they guide the other person in. Now, the other thing to do is both of you go over there and hope you find it. What I do in that situation is I would leave a bit of toilet paper hanging on a tree from where we shot from. It gives you a bit of a point of reference on height and you really, or you can take a photo of the area and circle it, edit it on your phone and circle it. So that way when you get over there, you can find some characteristics and things. But what I asked for was a product that I could, from where I've taken the shot, I can range find across to where the animal died and then it would log the GPS coordinates of the point of death. Now, this phone call today was, hey, I remember listening to that. There's a product out that does that on the domestic market. Now, I've had other people tell me there's things in the, obviously things in the military that we either can't afford or can't get our hands on that do that. Now, what it is, it's the Sig Sauer 10K range finding binoculars. I haven't touched them. I haven't done a super lot of research on them other than sitting down at Smoko today and Googling. Pretty keen to get my hands on a pair. I think they're an awesome looking bit of kit. I already have. Sorovsky rangefinders, the ELs. These are a little bit dearer, coming in at four and a half thousand dollars, but so different. They've got a ten thousand yard reflective range, which is massive. They've got the inbuilt applied ballistics elite app inside them, so they're giving you all your shot information, and they link externally to your Kestrel or a Garmin device for other ranges, wind, humidity, all the other features that you need for long-range shooting. What they also have in them is this ability to drop remote waypoints using the Base Map app. So you've got an app on your phone called Base Map, and what it does is it locates your location, pinpoint. The range finder then spits in the range and direction into Base Point, and then it spits out a GPS coordinate of roughly, give or take a few metres, where you were pointing with the rangefinder. Now, what an amazing bit of kit. I don't have five grand to throw away immediately. I would probably help put up the average $8,000 spend per person if that was the case. But definitely keen to get my hands on a pair and have a play and see if that's available. So it's saying that the range on deer is up to 3,000 yards, range on trees up to 4,000 yards, and max reflective. So if you're looking at a reflector or a side of a barn or something up to 10,000 yards. And that's obviously plus or minus based on fog and air conditions and things like that. So, But, yeah, man, thanks for the call, Stabby. Not thanks, though, because now you've just sent me down a whole rabbit warren of what I can buy with my money. It's incredible what uh, what things technology is doing these days. So They are reasonably new to Australia, but they are in stores, so. I will be going to try and swindle some for a test run. Yeah, no, they sound good. So one thing I was looking at today going, I always just sit there and think what gear, I love gear. So always just sitting there, what gear can I improve in my kit? And I'm getting to the point where I feel the binos and the separate rangefinder are cumbersome and I want to have one unit. So it's definitely something. I think they're going to be on the list. I think the InReach, Garmin InReach Mini is going to be in the list. Uh, or the other one that 
I don't know if you've seen that one. It's four hundred dollars. It's just basically like a square and it connects to your phone. So everything's done through your phone and a connected app, but it, it does the same thing as the, the InReach Mini. That's handy. And is it yeah. subscription based or SOS related? Exact same. Same thing, same price. Uh it all it does is it I think it it's got some pretty good battery life, I'll say that. It's close to thirty days with clear cover and it sends you um, GPS coordinates out every 10 minutes and everything's done through your phone. So SOS, messages, it just makes it a bit more handy rather than on that small inReach mini. I know you can sort of just press SOS or pre-programmed ones and thumbs up, but this one I think is a, a little bit better, I guess, but it looks a bit more bulkier. So won't be long till we get uh, Musk's Skylink available on, was it iPhones? Yeah, Starlink. Yeah, they were talking iPhones. So, I mean, that's going to, that's the interesting one. That happens and these GPS things go out the window, don't they? So, that'll be one of those things. That'll change, so, the, change the world. Yeah, that's exciting. There's always, Jesus, some good tech. There's just so much coming out all the time. I saw that at Shot Show. There were some really good things coming out of Shot Show. So, wouldn't that be a cool trip to go on? Yeah, 100%. One, I'm really keen and I'd love to hear if anyone runs something similar. I don't know if they've got them out here but is hiking poles with an attachment on the top so you can turn it into a shooting stick or to glass yeah i was like that's interesting uh these ones were carbon fiber so half carbon fiber half aluminium bog pog do one ridge line uh, not ridge line but but are they actual hiking sticks or are they like i've got a trigger stick the bog pod one is you leave it out as a full stick and it's got a it's got a thread on top, like the camera mount thread, so you can thread on a flat platform yep. that you put your binoculars on. Yep. And it's not collapsible, it's full length. Is that right? Is that what you're looking at? Uh no, these ones these ones collapsed. Uh this is what I liked about these ones. They the collapsed. Thing. Don't quote me on the exact figures. I, I, they were again it's I think they were collapsed down to about 25 centimeters does that sound right no probably a bit, bit bigger but they were they were tiny just picturing you walking in the bush and then pulling that thing out and flicking it down like you would a you know, say a blind person's pole the red and white stick with the pole on the end of it the security button is that the word well there's a security button you ever seen those that they flick out yeah right yeah i know what you mean so yeah the coppers use them and they extend oh you could use that if you run out of ammo these ones are really light so they were talking uh, they were talking about how they're very small. They fit in your pack. You can barely notice they're in there and they collapse r- right down and they weigh next to nothing because they're half carbon fiber, half aluminium. And they, I've been reading up because I, ha- I don't really ever use hiking um, sticks and I've been reading up on them and they reckon that if you have them correctly fitted and using them properly, that you can take up to between 25 and 50% of the weight out of your backpack, like the felt weight. So I was like, that's very interesting, but I've never used them. So it's it's something that I was like, oh, that sounds good. And I love a big backpack. You do. You probably wouldn't even need the collapsible ones. You could probably have full length ones and you wouldn't even poke outside your pack. Yeah, maybe. I reckon you could fit both your twins in your pack. Oh, comfortably. Not Well, not comfortable for them. And then have plenty of space. <laughs> so, yeah, that is interesting. So I can't I, – that, that stuff gets me excited. I think just as much as I love hunting, I love the tech side of hunting too and the new gadgets and toys and I've bought a few different things. So in the next few episodes, we'll do a bit more of uh, the tech talk because I've got some pretty cool things that I'm going to be trying out and, and do a couple of reviews on. So, yeah, pretty exciting stuff. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to uh... – Shooting the 28 a little bit further and putting it on a chronograph and seeing what it can produce. So he's just giving away what one of my items is my chronograph. Oh, I wasn't, Thanks, Dodge. No, I wasn't aimed at that at all. I actually asked about one at the range to see if they had one to borrow and they did not. I thought you could hire one. Yeah, no. I, uh, well, for our listeners, and it'll be coming up shortly, but um, I've used it once. So I want to use it a couple more times, but it is, I'm pretty happy with it uh, so far. It's the, Pro Chrono DLX, and it's got built-in Bluetooth, which is really handy because it sends everything to the app. 
So while it's set up, and I don't know if our listeners know this, but when you use a chronograph, it has to be roughly about 10 feet away because you can't have the muzzle near the, I guess, the little antennas. That's not the technical term. I probably should know that. But if it's too close to the muzzle, the actual gases coming out will impact the reading. So you need to have it about 10 feet away for a bolt action rifle. And so I bought the Pro Chrono DLX and I got that off David Bailey shooting supplies down there in Tassie. So big shout out to them. Uh, service was impeccable. I had a great chat with with David and before I purchased it and, and worked out what the go was, what I needed it to do. And he was extremely helpful, lovely bloke, very knowledgeable shooter himself. So big shout out to him. We really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, it's well priced too. Why? Just coming from someone who's never used a chrono, you want to explain why you use it? What's the benefits of using one? Or do you want to wait until you do your review? No, we can sort of have a quick chat about it now. So the basically the reason you use a chronograph is to get the bullet, I guess, speed. And that way you can have an accurate uh, number to put into your ballistics calculator. So when you're working out your BC and you're going through that to work out your bullet drops and and to dial in essentially at different distances. Uh, you can use the, I mean, on every box of ammo, they generally give you the numbers and they tell you what it should be shooting at, but every rifle is different and those differences can then impact your bullet drop at different distances. So if you use a chronograph, you'll know exactly what your bullet is doing and then you'll be able to punch that data in and get it a lot more accurate. So you can dial in for those longer shots a lot easier, I suppose. Or I guess not easier, but I guess a little bit more more confident in what's going to happen out there because you've got more accurate data, if that makes sense. Yeah, so you need need to type all those, yeah, type all those things into your calculators. Yeah, so your dope chart really, um, do you know what dope stands for? No, I don't. Okay, so it's data of previous engagements and I guess it's funny now because we still call it a dope chart, but it's not really because you're, you're punching everything into a calculator. So it's not a previous engagement. It's a, it's a program that shoots it out. But it is something there that you can, you can get those numbers, punch it in, and you have a rough understanding of what's going to happen. And then it, I guess it's the next step, getting your chronograph out and working out the exact bullets or well, sorry, the exact speed, so it, how it impacts the bullet's flight. And really handy if you're going to be reloading and playing around as well because then that will, once you find out what sort of, I guess, your, your recipe is going to be, you can then dial it in a bit further with your BC calculator and things like that. So uh, if you're going to be shooting long distance, I'm a big fan of that side of it, knowing, yeah, okay, I need to dial this much in at this distance and you don't want to be guessing, especially if you're out for a hunt. If you're out for a hunt and you're shooting, you know, four or 500 meters, you want to know that you're dialed in and that shot's going to hit it because that's a bloody long way to get to the animal and you might only get one shot. So you want to be pretty confident that it's going to do what you think it's going to do with that bullet drop. So, but yeah, I'll have that review out hopefully soon. If you had range finding GPS dropping. Yeah. With that ballistics app in it, using a chronograph to back it up, man, that is sounds like the perfect kit. It does, it does. And it, we go back to that episode we did on when's too much tech too much, but mm. I don't think that is because you still there's so much to it that it's not just a point and shoot. You've got to do so much work to get it to that stage. Definitely. And I think it's being more ethical and I think that's a really big one moving forward for our hunting community. It's something we need to be on board with is trying to ensure that we are doing things as ethically as possible. Gotcha. All right. I think on that note, we might uh, wrap it up tonight and we've got a couple of good guests coming. We said last time we had a couple of good guests and we delivered with them and I think they were a couple of pretty good stories. Profty's a legend. <laughs> so he's such a good bloke and so knowledgeable. That was one I really enjoyed. He's so enthusiastic too. I was watching. Oh, man. Rewatching. So pumped. A section of his Red Stag one and just the shaking, the emotion, like it just encapsulates that feeling. Like you can watch that and feel what he's feeling. It's incredible. Yeah. I know. Yeah. And he's so authentic as well. Yeah. There's no, there's no BS with him. Uh, I, I had an absolute blast, and 
we'll definitely do a round two at some stage because I, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. But we, uh, we have a couple of other really good guests coming up too. So really excited and looking forward to, to getting them on and, and having a chat. So, all right, mate. Uh, it's been good. Yep. Good to have a chat. I hope everyone's enjoyed it tonight and we'll catch you soon. Look forward to it. And don't forget our catch up coming up soon. See you guys. Bye. If you have a question for the team, shoot us an email. Our email address is theendlesspursuitpodcast at gmail.com. Alternatively, jump on our social media, Facebook and Twitter. You can find us by using the at Hunting Journeys and Instagram. Find us on endless underscore pursuit underscore podcast. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time.